Hello, you're watching Global Investor on Business Day TV. I'm Stephen Gunyan. Simon Brown from Just One Lap in studio to guide us through all that's happening on global markets. And later in the show, we'll be joined by Samantha Skuman from Ashburton to discuss their World Government Bond ETF, which lists on the JSE next month. All that coming your way shortly. First, though, a quick look at what's been making the headlines. The drinks maker Coca-Cola has reported strong quarterly earnings despite struggling with the shrinking market for its core products. The world's largest soft drinks maker swung to a loss from a profit as a result of a $3.6 billion charge related to a new tax law. The strong demand for vitamin waters, teas and coffees boosted organic revenue to $7.5 billion. Staying with results but shifting to the automotive industry where French car maker Renault posted record sales and profit for its full year. Operating profit jumped 17% to 3.8 billion euros, while revenue increased by 15% to just shy of 59 billion euros. In the wake of the results, the government's calling on the company for a clearer succession plan and deeper integration with alliance partner Nissan. And multinational retailer Walmart is taking a page from Amazon's playbook to boost its online sales, and it's turning to the cloud. The company's in talks to buy a stake of at least 40% in Indian e-commerce firm Flipkart. Here's more on that. Walmart's cloud network may finally be making some rain. The world's largest brick-and-mortar retailer posted its strongest quarterly growth since 2009, thanks to a 50% jump in online sales in the third quarter. Fueling it, nearly half a decade and millions of dollars of investments into six giant server farms, each of them larger than 10 football fields, says Reuters correspondent Nandita Bose. So the cloud essentially helps Walmart store data on customer purchasing behavior, right? At pricing, uh, inventory, uh, a lot of core retail processes that were earlier stored on different servers around the company can now all be consolidated, bought together uh, under these huge server farms and can be crunched together. In a sense, Walmart is taking a page from the Amazon playbook, using the data to quickly adjust pricing and tweak offerings. Despite the fast growth, Walmart is still light years behind Amazon with less than 4% of U.S. online retail market share. Amazon has over 40% of that pie. But Amazon isn't just using its own cloud business called Amazon Web Services or AWS to crunch data for its own retail business. Hosting other businesses on the AWS cloud has become one of Amazon's fastest growing businesses and is bringing in big money. Ross Gerber, president and CEO of Gerber Kawasaki. Well, I think it's very smart for Walmart. You know, Walmart finally got with the program and realized Amazon was going to really hurt their business and their online business has been growing. But but paying Amazon for their services doesn't necessarily help Walmart's cause. So it makes a lot of sense for them to invest in here. And also, as such a big company, um, having their own infrastructure makes a lot of sense. Investors are so far giving Walmart's cloud strategy a thumbs up, and the stock has outpaced the overall market rise in the past year and defied a sagging retail sector. But now that it's in the cloud business, the battlefront with Amazon has expanded, and investors will be watching whether Walmart can take back some old ground and claim some new territory as well. Well, Simon Brown, founder of Just One Lap, joins me now. Simon, thanks very much for coming in. So um, let's start with the broader market picture. Of course, the, the U.S. closed today for President's Day, but we had the best week of gains in six years last week, but that followed two weeks of 
pitiful losses. It did. And in fact, uh, uh, that collapse we had, the 10% down, whatever it was, was the fastest 10% loss in the, the history of the S&P. Really? Um, nine days down, I think it was a nine or seven, whatever. It, it, it was the fastest. Um, so we had that massive sell-off, sparked in part by inflation, in part by the VIX ETN exploding. And what the VIX ETN did, it was not so much contagion, but it, it, it pulls money out. People are in leverage. Suddenly they're losing more than they deposited and they then need money and they need, you know, so they go sell other assets mm -hmm. and the like. Um, but I think inflation is the one to watch for. But as you say, we, we've recovered. We, we had that sharp sell-off. And truthfully, 10% pullbacks should be the normal cause of business in a market. Of course, what we've seen, particularly in the U.S., in the last couple of years is we've seen, we haven't even seen 3% pullbacks. So I think it, it opened a lot of people's eyes. Are, are we going to see more volatility of this nature, particularly as the market pays focus to those inflation numbers? I think absolutely. And I think th there are two reasons, and I'll touch on inflation second. But we're, we're at a, a stretched bull market. This bull market is long in the teeth. Um, not to say it can't continue for more percentage points and, and more years, but certainly it's long in the teeth, which means every sort of hint that this might be the end of it is going to cause a bit of panic and, and, and therefore aggravate the selling. And, and, and th that, that's to be expected. But also, to your point around normalizing of data. I mean, we've had incredibly low inflation now for close on a decade. We've had incredibly low interest rates. We've had bond yields and the negatives in, in, in developed countries in, in Western Europe. Um, and, and, you know, it's not that we're moving to high levels. It's that we need to revert to normal levels. But we're used to this, 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 this you know, drug of cheap money. Mm. And what happens is, I mean, every bull market typically dies on, on, on high interest rates. Because what that means, so if, if U.S. interest rates were six or seven percent with inflation lurking at maybe two or three, you can get a three or four percent real return in the bank at a relatively low risk. And that means a lot of money leaves equity and goes into the safe harbor of, of bonds and, and interest rates and the like, and therefore equity suffers. So, you know, it, it, I'm not being alarmist and I'm not being bearish, but this is probably the, the beginning of the end for the bull market. It can, however, go for two, three years. I mean, I'm not suggesting we rush out and sell everything and, and buy crash puts, but this is the slow normalization. Every bull market ends, becomes a bear market, and then, of course, ends and becomes a bull market again. You said high interest rates are bad for equities, but not necessarily rising interest rates because, to some point, to some degree, uh, um, equities like rising interest rates, rising inflation, of course, rising country sure. earnings. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and we must rem remember that rising inflation gives them pricing power. So, you know, let's take inflation at 3%, assuming that they can, you know, assuming that they uh, can manage their, 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 their margins and the like, they can add 3% to earnings, you know, bang, that's it. We start mm -hmm. the year at plus three. Now we add to it with, with same st uh, store sales or you know, comp comparable, and then we can go and look for real growth. So initially, it's actually quite uh, attractive to the environment. And we are, you know, even at this point in the U.S. rates, and still by the end of the year, assuming maybe we get another 1% out of, I almost said Yellen, uh, Powell's Fed, um, we're still below the long-term normalized you know, interest rates in, in, in the U.S. So we've got a long way to go. Europe is still in quantitative easing. Draghi's still buying corporate bonds, uh, another 10-odd billion this, this last week. Um, so there's still a, a ways to undergo. This is, I suppose, the, the final end of, of what was that, that crisis of, of 08-09. Uh, right, well, let's take a look at some of the earnings. Uh, we had Coca-Cola with numbers <coughs> towards the end of last week. It was a strong quarter, although it did report a loss because of that tax sure. charge. Um, and everybody's grappling with that at the moment, I think. So it's not Coca-Cola alone. Um, but it's actually making money from new markets rather than 
Coca-Cola is. Yeah, and we can vitamin drinks and tea and stuff. The, the tax charge we can ignore their one-offs. We're going to see them across the board. And truthfully, it means they've suddenly got a pile of cash they've got access to. The the, the, the trick, I mean, two tricks with Coca-Cola. They're a bit late to the the health stuff. Uh, Pepsi's already got the fun for you. Uh, something and good for you and, and they've been going into away from crisps and not away from they still have they've been introducing coca-cola has been a, a little slow in, in 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 that sense of 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 moving away from the the sugary unhealthy mm-hmm. uh, uh, snacks and drinks and the like um, and what struck me is they their dividend was 135 percent of normalized earnings and which they're paying out more than their profits now they they can access that cash pile that they've got that now uh, got access to they can access debt and the like but longer term is not sustainable that said coke has a 50 plus year track record of 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 dividends um of flat to increasing dividends um and you know they're unlikely to cut but you know if i look at them and i look at pepsico i think pepsico's in a better position. If, if Coke can transition to there, there's a lot of upside because it's a good move. But you know, transitions carry risk, are, are difficult. Um, and the lady, the CEO of PepsiCo, and uh, her name escapes me, actually had an interview with her last week, has done a brilliant job um, transitioning the company. Okay. Um, well, McDonald's also going healthier, slimming down its Happy Meals. In fact, it's going to cut the cheeseburger from its Happy Meals. So I don't know how happy the kids are going to be, <laughs> um, but it's also putting limits on calories, sugar, and sodium, and all of this by 2022. A good move for McDonald's, or do you want to go to McDonald's for junk food? I, I think a good move, because I think I mean, we, we can, as long as I don't touch their milkshakes, because the only thing I eat at McDonald's is a chocolate milkshake. No low-fat, nothing there. <laughs> but, you know, the, the world is, 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 is moving healthier, that, you know, and, and, and we need to help. You know, it's important. And, but also, you know, the idea that, 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 that uh, you know, you can only get tasty if it's junk is, is not true. You can have tasty, it can be healthy, um, and it can be without all these horrible things that, you know, I mean, MSG, trans fats and the like, which, you know, mm-hmm. without that, how can we eat? Well, there's ways around it. Um, this is going to be a trend that I think is going to continue, uh, and some, such as PepsiCo and Coca-Cola, will keep their they're unhealthy, as well as introducing the, the, the healthy stuff. McDonald's will probably try and shift their unhealthy sort of to the center and then have a, a healthy range. I wonder about the 2022. I mean, what are they going to do? Sit around for three years and then change it? I mean, I get that there's process, yeah. but I don't know how, I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's more to this than I'm aware of, but it seems like a slow shift. Okay, well, uh, another company that's shifting, Walmart. Um, so it's now in talks to buy 40% of Flipkart, which is the Indian e-commerce um, company. And of course, a massive market for, for, for Walmart to get a grip on. And I think, I think a, a clever move. You know, you can try and compete with Amazon in the US, and they have, and they, they haven't really made it work. Amazon is just completely and absolutely dominant in that market in, 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 in every such way, you know, from, from prime membership to, to uh, uh, Whole Foods and, and one-hour delivery and that sort of thing in, in certain markets. So move to a market where Amazon is, is, is there, but much like South Africa, no real presence, no warehousing and the like. Um, India is a giant market. It's plus billion people. Um, it is a, a growing market. And, and you can essentially start from, not from scratch. I mean, Flipkart's obviously going, but Flipkart's getting that momentum. And, and when Amazon does arrive in India, which I expect that they will do with, with a lot more vigor in terms of warehousing and distribution and the like, you've already got an established player. It's more of a fair fight. Whereas in the U.S., very much Walmart versus Amazon was not a fair fight. Uh, Walmart was absolutely struggling. And to start from your own, Walmart has 
struggled with offshore expansions. I think of Walmart Mexico. I think of MassMart locally. I, Mass um, I think partnering, taking a, a, a chunky but minority stake. I think it's a clever move. It still comes with risk, but I think it's a clever way to 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 get into in, into e-commerce. Pick another territory. Pick an established player. And let's see how that plays out. Okay, and, and then maybe a word on Nestle's results. I don't know if you looked at those, um, but it's under a bit of pressure, particularly from activist shareholders. So I, what struck me, they own L'Oreal, a big chunk of it. Yeah, and, and twen- the question 23 billion euro stake. Why? I mean, so, so well, the mistake that Nestle's made is where McDonald's is doing in 2022 and Coca-Cola is doing slowly, but which PepsiCo has done well. And I'm not saying get rid of your, your Nestle chocolate slabs and your Kit Kats and the like, but bring in your health product. And yes, they've got Nestle water and they've got infant formula and they, they've expanded, mm-hmm. but they obviously haven't expanded well enough and they've moved into some non-complementary. I, I don't see how chocolate and, and, and L'Oreal fit together. And, and you know, I, I'm not the experts on either of well, the chocolate I am, perhaps. But yeah. um, I, I, I get it. But I, I, it seemed weird. Even as a strategic investment? Yeah. But, you know, I, 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 I like companies to, to really stick to their knitting and to stay within, in a sense, to stay within their lane and, and to look at, at health alternatives and to maybe look at health chocolate and, and, and waters, which they do and the like. So, so stay within that allied industry rather than rushing off over here and deciding we'll take a strategic stake in, in, in something else, which is not your core competency. 23% is nice, but you haven't got control. You've got a bit of board seats. You, mm-hmm. you, it, it, it's a weird deal in that sense. So I, frankly, on the side of the, the activist shareholders there, maybe a bit of a shake-up needed in, in the Nestle space. Well, it looks like it could be coming. We have to leave it there just for a moment. We're going to a break. When we come back, we take a look at the Ashburton World Government Bond ETF. That's with Samantha Skuman. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. You're watching Global Investor. Still with me in studio, Simon Brown from Just One Lap. Joining us on the line, Samantha Skuman, Head of Index Tracking at Ashburton. Uh, Samantha, thanks very much for chatting to us this evening. So we're discussing your new World Government Bond ETF. Why a World Government Bond ETF? Who wants that? Why a World Government Bond ETF? Um, thanks for, for having me on the show, Stephen. Um, so I think... We have recognized the fact that um, at this point in time, well, other than this being a particularly exciting listing, um, due to us putting the first asset class ETF that actually is going to be um, providing investors access with global bonds onto onto the JSE, we really do feel that there's a significant amount of bonds ETFs um, on the JSE. There are a lot of offshore equity ETFs on the JSE, but there's nothing really that provides us with our investors um, with um, exposure to global bonds um, in a broad index. How about the timing for this, Samantha? Because um, one could argue it might not be the best time to be buying global bonds. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Look, so for us, it's not really a, a timing play. Um, it is really more what the market needs. Um, if we have a look at whether or not it would be a good idea to diversify a portfolio by including um, global bonds within a portfolio construct, um, the answer is, is, is an obvious yes. Um, how to then more efficiently include um, a global bond portfolio um, is, is very limited in terms of choice for the South African investor. Um, so from a South African perspective, um, you need to either then forage your cash offshore um, and, and try and get access to those global bond markets um, in, in, in that specific manner. This specific ETF really aims to, to provide investors with 
a benchmark exposure, a core satellite sort of exposure to global bond indices worldwide um, at a very cost-efficient, convenient manner um, and, and at sort of 6 rand 70 per security, so at an affordable rate. Mm. Simon, can I ask you, before you ask Samantha, I want to ask you, um, wouldn't you want to be more targeted with your offshore bond exposure? So wouldn't you rather choose a geography that you'd want exposure to their bonds rather than having the entire WIGBY, which of course includes South Africa for the moment, may not be for long, but at the moment we're in there. I No, I wouldn't because I'm going to pick the wrong territory. What I might prefer is a, a more sort of G7 or, or you know, a, a, a series of, of, of emerging, you know, of, of large developed economies rather than, than, than a global. Because, you know, so I, I can get that and get my sort of Western Europe yield and, and my North America, um, but uh, the idea you, you're going to get modest yields out of it. Probably, I imagine that these G7 style countries are dominant. What you what you're going to get to a degree is, is is a currency play, and of course, in the short term, that might hurt against you. But I, I, I take Samantha's point. I think it's important that that it is you know, bonds are a part of it. And I, I used to, I used to think the most boring thing in the world. Maybe I'm just getting old. Um, but the idea of you know the classic investment style of of you know take a bond, hold it to maturity, let it do what it don't view this as a as even a, a three to five year view. View this as, as as a part of your asset allocation running over decades. Mm. I mean, Samantha, so I mean Simon, Simon pointed out that you might want G7 exposure, Western European and American, and of course most of the exposure in the WIGB, I suppose, is weighted towards America, Western Europe, and Japan. Twenty percent exposure to Japan. Um, do you then get a little bit of a yield kicker from some of the other constituents, such as South Africa, which is offering a higher yield? Um, so, yes, Stephen, we did do a bit of comparison between sort of the G7. Um, the city also brings out a, a developed market week B only um, versions of, of these specific indices. And what we did see is, is although the emerging market exposure at this point in time in the week B is benchmarked, um, at, at you know two percent, so there isn't there isn't a significant emerging market exposure, um, but that emerging market exposure in in times of, of emerging market growth and, and well not growth, but but where emerging market yields um, are increased, um, does provide a little bit of a, t- a kicker into into your bond performance. Samantha, Simon here. Are you going to pay distributions, or will this be a, a total return ETF? We will be paying quarterly distributions, Simon. Uh, and th- those are going to be fixed rate coupons rather than floating notes, aren't they? Yes, yes. Uh, I suppose there is some safety um, in the WIGB because, as we know with South Africa, you have to be investment grade to be part of that. And if we do lose our investment grade status on our local currency debt by, by another ratings agency, we're not out in, in the WIGB anymore. So there is some security there for investors, isn't there? Yeah, and, and look, at this point in time, I think we should also be cognizant that, that the, the South African exposure within the WIGBY, um, look, the WIGBY is a very, very widely utilized, large, largely benchmarked index. Um, so in ZAR terms, is roughly, uh, in, in USD terms, the South African exposure is roughly 9 billion. But that really only equates to 50 basis points of the actual index. Um, so even though there is South African exposure in the index, it's not a significant um, South African bond exposure that actually makes up that specific index. Mm. Well, Simon, looking at that graph there, and you talked about currency exposure, and, and you can see over one year, um, as, as a result of the RAND strengthening so much last year and the dollar weakening so much last year, um, the WIGBY index returned 8% in dollar terms, but minus 4% in RAND terms, um, but that could just as easily 
go the other way next year. And, and, and I mean, long term, you know, I, I, I think the rand's probably going to 10 over the next year or two. But, you know, let, let's go forward longer. D does anyone think that the rand won't hit 20 to the dollar? Not because of necessarily a collapse in our currency, but because the rand will weaken against the US dollar and other global, if nothing else, by the inflation differential. Mm -hmm. so, so you get, and as I say to folks, you know, you're going to get a 100% a, a uplift over the long term just from your currency. In the short term, noisy, messy, you know, all of that sort of thing. But 100% uplift just in your currency over, over the longer term, as well as then obviously the yield coming through. So, so the currency strength, you know, if you wanted to trade it and do a short term different story, um, if anything, what this currency strength does is give us opportunity to buy assets such as this and other offshore assets at, at, at better prices, you know, for, for South Africans. Yeah. I mean, Samantha, who does, who's this likely to appeal to? Will it be to institutional investors who can get that offshore bond exposure without using any of their offshore allowances? Absolutely. So I definitely think that there's, there's a definite institutional play in this specific product. Um, I think it's also they can get as much of it as they want and they require. There's a lot more flexibility. It's listed on the JSC. You can buy, you know, you can purchase a million, you can purchase a hundred million. There's no pressure when you actually go and forex your cash offshore. You go through the entire schlep and you sort of, it's costly. Um, it's an administrative burden. Um, the other thing for institutional investors is it also doesn't count towards their offshore allowances because it's a listed ETF um, on the JSC. So there's plus points on the institutional side. From a retail perspective, um, it's just that, that cost-efficient um, convenience and affordable exposure. So we'll be listing this at, at roughly around about 6 Rand 60 um, per security, depending on what the index um, level looks like at that point in time. And I think it's just providing retail investors with the opportunity to be able to utilize that powerful global bond diversification in their portfolio structuring and strategies um, in order to to enhance their, their risk and return profiles mm. absolutely from from both sides samantha what sort of total expense ratio will you be targeting obviously the bond it's not alive so you don't know but what's what what would you be happy with in, in a year's time in, ter in ter terms of a total expense ratio in terms of a total expense ratio we are targeting 45 basis points um, so 0.45%. Um, in terms of a management fee speak, um, it currently will cost the investor 34 basis points, um, and that's, of course, exclusive of that. Sound reasonable? Yeah, yeah so, so for the offshore component, I mean, for, for vanilla local ETFs, 45 is high, but you know, once you start moving offshore, the, the, you start, they start getting bigger and the numbers start getting bigger. And, and, and you know, let's be honest, I used to think 1% was good, um, but you know, times have moved on. I mean, we've got Satrix 40 at, at 10 points these days, and that is that trend. And it's a scale issue. You know, the yeah. bigger you get, the simpler they are, the, 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 the more the fees come down. Samantha, um, what, what sort of interest have you had ahead of the listing, because the, the offer has a already opened, hasn't it? Yes. So the IPO has opened. Um, it did open last week. Um, we have we have chatted to various stockbrokers, so it's currently currently available um, by all of our, our normal stockbroking channels, um, and it is available. And there's been quite a keen interest, I think, more so from the perspective of, look, I mean, I think a lot of institutional guys might not necessarily be going um, and increasing exposures to develop bonds um, at this point in time. But but most certainly they are looking for, for a benchmark exposure um, that provides them with a cost-efficient, convenient access um, to, to, to try and get that exposure. So we've definitely seen some, some keen interest in, in the specific listing. Okay, well, we'll have to chat to you again after the listing. Samantha, we have to leave it there for now. Thank you so much for coming onto the show. Super.
thank you for having me. And to you, Simon. <laughs> thank you. Uh, that's all we have time for this week. Thanks again to Just One Lap, Simon Brown, Ash Burton's Samantha Schumann for their insights. Many thanks to you for watching. Same time next week. Goodbye. <laughs>